God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, God, that, Lord, we get to come before you. God, that we get to hear from you. And so, God, I pray today, Lord, you know the message that you want spoken. God, you know the things, Father, that you want us to hear. And God, most of all, Holy Spirit, you know how you want to move in our hearts. And so, God, I'm, I'm asking, Lord, for each one that came in, Lord, for those maybe that just didn't have the time that they wanted, Lord, to just spend in worship, Lord, they were just running late or whatever it was, God. Father, I just ask now, would you prepare our hearts? God, would you open up our spiritual eyes, God, to receive? As we dig into your word today, God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So you guys, today's message I have entitled this, What is Your Wall? What is Your Wall? And so you'll understand a little bit more of that as we go through this passage, I hope. If not, then bad message name, right? But you guys, we're going to be finishing up chapter 20 today, and we're going to be looking at a very well-known portion of the Gospels. It's this story, this, this piece of history is also found in Mark chapter 10, as well as Luke chapter 18. And here in Matthew, we're given kind of one extra piece of the puzzle. We're given this piece of the puzzle. We're given the piece of the puzzle that says that there's two blind men. Boy, this sitting down thing is horrible. Forget it. There's two blind men. We know from the other uh, two gospels, Mark and Luke, that one of those blind men is known as blind Bartimaeus, right? Blind Bart. And so old blind Bart is the one that gets most of kind of the, the press, so to speak, in the other two gospels. But Matthew here tells us there was actually two guys. And isn't it just like Matthew, the numbers guy, to be like, no, uh, Luke, um, by the way, there were two guys. You forgot one. Mark, what are you doing here? Right? Like that's Matthew. So we know that there's two guys here. And we're going to read today that this all happens, you guys, right around the city of Jericho. And you guys probably know very, very well that the city of Jericho has a rich and storied kind of history of God doing the impossible, doesn't he? Like this city is like, whoa. Right? It seems like when God mentions Jericho, it's like, watch me do something crazy. Right? Like, watch this. And I want us today to kind of dig into this story. And I want us to, we're going to look back at the other piece of history that we can read about with the city of Jericho. And I want to bring a tie between the two. And so I'm praying that the Lord does that for me uh, because in my mind, it really makes a lot of sense. But as I was studying this week, I was like, oh Lord, is this even getting to the point that I feel like you want me to bring? And so I'm gonna trust that he's gonna do that, amen? amen? All right, you guys, let's dig in. Verse 29, it says this. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. And so we see here that Jesus had gone into Jericho, maybe to spend the night, who knows what happened, but he's on his way back out of Jericho. We know that Jericho sits a little bit north of Jerusalem, right? I didn't get a map. I should have done that. Jer Jer Jericho's over in this area and Jerusalem's down in here in the, in the land of Judah, right? And so it's kind of like, remember, this is like one of the first areas when they crossed the Jordan it was one of the first cities that Joshua had to deal with in the Old Testament. We're going to go back here in a second and read that story. But I want us to think about this. So this is where he's coming from. Where is he going? Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. This is him coming in to Jerusalem for his final time. And we looked at the fact that, man, like he's been at this now for what, three, three and a half years? He's gone into Jerusalem before, but Matthew didn't mention it until now. You guys see this sign up here, Jesus is king. We didn't just pick that randomly. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, his whole goal, the reason he started with this, you know, lineage that comes down through the line of David was to show that Jesus is king. 
Each gospel had a bend, had a reason for why it was written. And this is Matthew's reason. And so doesn't it make sense to you? It makes a lot of sense to me that Matthew would have been not mentioning, yeah, of course we went to Jerusalem for different times throughout the years. Of course we did these things, but I'm not going to mention it until now because this is the only one that matters. This is the only time that when Jesus showed up there that it was like, I'm here for my time, for this mission that I've been on the whole time. And so as he's coming in, he's going out through Jericho. And as we can see here, a great multitude was following him. This is nothing new for Jesus and the disciples, is it? Thank you for somebody answering. Thank you very, very much. You guys, come on. Are you awake? Hold on. Let me take a drink while you do that. You can stretch. You guys, these two blind men were on the road and they cried out to Jesus as he went by. They found out it was Jesus. Notice it didn't say like, oh, it's a Pharisee. We need to call out to him. Oh, it's a, it's a rich man. We need to call out to him. He might give us money. No, they heard it was Jesus. And what did he cry out? They didn't cry out like, give me some money. They didn't cry out like, hey, I need some new clothes. These are worn out. No, they cried out, have mercy on us. Oh Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Oh Lord, son of David. You guys, they realized that they had a problem here. They were blind. We here, 2,000 plus years later, with a media that's telling us, believe in science. Can I speak something? I'm not trying to dog out science. Here's what I will say, though. My mom is blind. They haven't figured out how to heal it yet. I think I'm going to believe in the one that can, not in the thing that can't. Does that make sense? I am not making a political statement. What I'm getting at is the fact that they realized they had a problem and there was only one way to fix that problem. And it wasn't going to be found in society, right? The only way to take down this black wall of blindness in their eyes and in their life was through God's intervention. And so they cried out to the only God that they could actually kind of get their hands around. And that was the God in flesh, Jesus. And how do we know that they believed that Jesus was God in flesh? How do we know that they believed this? Well, we know it because it's of the terms that they used, you guys. We know what they truly felt based on the terms that they used to call to Jesus. They said, Lord, have mercy on us, O Lord, we've talked about this over and over and over again. And you guys, I want to challenge you today. If you say Lord Jesus Christ and you do not look at Jesus as Lord, your master, your supreme ruler, your king, then you're kind of sort of not taking on the full realm of meaning that that word has for you. He's Lord. They meant it. Here they are blind and they don't even know what direction they're calling. Listen, I, I'm going to make some jokes maybe today that some people might be like offended by, but when you grow up with a blind person, humor is the only way you get through sometimes. And so my mom would be like, boys, and we'd go up behind her and be like, what? <laughs> you know, who knows if they weren't sitting there being like, Jesus, oh Lord. And they're like, Bart, Bart, turn around. He's that way. We don't know what that looked like, but I do know this. They wouldn't stop calling out. They kept calling out. They called him son of David. All throughout the Old Testament, you guys, that term was specific to the Messiah. That name didn't just get thrown around. Just like today, you guys, I'll be honest, I don't think we should throw the word Lord around. Because there's a lot of Christians that are their own lords that will pray to the Lord. And that's sad because I'm like, who are you exactly praying to? Because the way your life looks, it's like you are your own Lord. So get it right in your head. God is God and you are not. Submit to him. And I think we all need to hear that. I'm not up here judging y'all, trust me. 
there's times when the Lord's like, who am I to you exactly? Because what you just told your wife wasn't very nice. You need to go apologize. And then I say, yes, Lord. And I go do it. You get my point? So here these two guys are, and they're calling out, Lord, son of David. They knew that he was the only way that anything was going to change. Let's look at the reaction of the crowd, or for lack of a better term, we'll call it the church, the multitude. What was the reaction of them? Verse 31. Then the multitude warned them that they should what? Shut up! Be quiet! They warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. The multitude just kept telling them to shut up up. Why? They were getting annoyed. They just wanted them to sit there. Stop making waves. Stop. Stop. If you keep crying out to Jesus and you keep crying out and you're saying that he's Lord and son of David, then I've got to do something about it. I can't just follow him around and kind of just be cool with him and hopefully get some free food. They didn't like it, did they? They didn't like it. Again, you guys, they're getting annoyed. But can I say something? Every one of those other people could see. Every one of those other people had been following along with Jesus. These two guys had been stuck in one place, sitting outside of the walls of Jericho, not moving. Why? Because I don't know if anybody knows what it feels like to be blind. I don't know, really know what it feels like to be blind, but I can tell you this. Growing up with a mother that's blind, you learn how to feel what it feels like to be blind because when you're walking, I would have to tell my mom, hey, there's a curb here. Let's step down. Why? Because if I didn't, she would eat it off the end of the curb. Do you understand? And so if you are a person that's hung out with a lot of people with disabilities or you've been around that type of environment, or maybe that's you, then you understand the need and the desire to be like, Lord, please, please fix this in me. God, please do something in my life. And you also know the debilitating feeling of a wall that can't come down. The multitude, these people, that one would have hoped would have been the ones that would have came around them and said, let's get you to the front. Like the friends that lowered the paralyzed man down through the roof, right? One would hope that the multitude would have been that, but instead they were like, would you be quiet? Look, the guy might give us some free food, but if you keep yakking, you're gonna ruin it. Just be quiet, just shut up. Let's flip back and look at another time when God had to come through for somebody. Flip back to Joshua, chapter five. We're going Old Testament, y'all. Joshua, chapter five. There was another wall that was standing. You guys know this story. The wall of Jericho. You guys, this wall was so wide and so thick that they could run two chariots side by side on the wall. Think about that. Think about that from the perspective of a people that we're not bringing across tanks and howitzers and, you know, missiles and cannons and all this stuff that could easily get through a stone wall. No, this was a group of people that, by the way, had just crossed over on dry land on the River Jordan at the actual tidal swell, like at the time that it was the fullest They had crossed over on dry land. It had stood up on end. The people of Jericho saw this huge wall of water and they were like, what is happening? But when Joshua and those guys came across, here was Joshua and he's like going and surveying the land outside, looking at it. And he's like, there's no way we're getting through this thing. This was an indomitable, indomitable, yeah, you guys know what I'm trying to say. Unbreakable wall, (laughs) right? This was a wall that could not come down by human standards. Let's read Joshua chapter five, starting in verse 13. It says this, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn on his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us? Or for our adversaries. And so he said, what? No. 
Hold on one second. This isn't in my notes. Can I just say something? Do you know how cool that one word is, no? What was Jesus saying here? What was, what was happening? He was telling Joshua, a Jew, I'm for humanity. That's what he was doing. I'm so glad he said no here. Because unless you're here today and you're a Jew, you should be super stoked that he said no right there. Because he wasn't going to answer untruthfully. He was like, no. Like, but, let's keep reading. He says no. Verse 14, he says, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. We're going to stop there, you guys. So most of you probably know this. You, you know, I'm sure that this is common knowledge to a lot of you, but for anyone that is here that doesn't know, do you guys ever hear of a Christophany or a Theophany? This is one of them. How do we know that? How do we know that this wasn't just a regular angel? No angel ever allows a human to fall down and worship before him. No angel ever. Why do I say that? The Book of Mormon has the angel Moroni. If you ever see a Mormon temple, you will see an angel on the top with a trumpet. That angel Moroni, Joseph Smith, fell before and, and worshipped him. That's a false angel, you guys. Because no angel ever does that. As a matter of fact, we see examples when someone did fall before an angel. And you know what the angel did? Get up on your feet and look at God. You guys remember that? The book of Revelation. Two times John's like, oh, right? He's just like, I don't know what to do. And he fell down on his face. And the angel's like, uh-uh, get up. Nope, stand up. You don't worship me, you worship God. That's what an angel does. This is how we know here in Joshua when we're reading that this is Jesus on earth before the incarnation. It's kind of crazy because do you notice what he said? You guys remember Moses and the burning bush? It's the only other time that we see where they're saying, hey, take your shoes off, dude. You're on holy ground. It's another clear sign that this is obviously not just an angel because an angel would be like, no, please keep your shoes on. <laughs> Worship God, Right? So here's Joshua with Jesus. And Jesus, I love what he says because here's Joshua worrying and saying like, whose side are you on? What's the deal? How's it all gonna go? And then after that, when he's down and his sandals are off, the Lord says this in verse two of chapter six, he says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. He's saying, you haven't even done anything yet, Josh. It's already done. It's already taken care of. And you guys know the whole story, right? We're not going to read all of it, but I'll give you the Cliff's notes or the Smiley's notes, so to speak. Ready? Here's what they are. He tells Joshua, he's like, all right, what you're going to do is you're going to do a, a frontal assault and, you're, and then you're going to catch it. No, that's not what he said, did he? He's like, dude, go out and march around a bunch of times every day. And as they make fun of you and probably dump hot oil onto you and probably do all these crazy things. As you do that, just trust me. Just trust me. And then at the very end, I want you to stay totally silent, but at the very, very end, I want you to yell with all your might and you will watch these insanely thick walls fall down. I want us to get our head around the fact that that actually worked. Because I think far too often, you guys, we read scripture and we're like, yeah, that's a nice story. I learned about that in grade school whenever I was in Sunday school. I didn't learn about that. I didn't go really to Sunday school. So all these stories, I was like, what? Whenever I was in high school, I was just blown away by, away by these stories. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what is happening? And then I'm like, God, if your word is true and that really happened, that's insane. 
And you guys, I'm telling you this story because all of these things matter in my life with a blind mother. Because I don't look at God's word and say, man, this is just a nice book with some nice stories. I actually think Jesus did all the things that it says he did. For real. Do you believe that? I actually think that Jericho's walls have fallen. As a matter of fact, archaeologists have found rubble that they're like, it's not burned. It's not taken down in a way that looks like it was under siege or anything like that. They found certain things that they're like, we don't know what to do with this. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Let's, let's flip back to Joshua, y'all. Right? But they're like, ah, you know, because humans, we're, we're much smarter than everybody else until we realize we're not. Right? But I think this is true, you guys. And so whenever I come up to things like this, and you guys, I got to tell you, when I came up to this in scripture, my first thought was, God, heal my mom. God, take away her blindness. Like I have zero doubt, God, that you can do it. I have zero doubt that God can do it. I also can tell you that God hasn't done it yet. And I don't know why. But because I trust that this is God's word, I trust that God is moving in the midst of every person's life. And I want to say something, you guys. He stopped for these two guys as they cried out. And we're going to see that he answers their request. But how many other blind people did he cross by that he didn't answer their request or that he didn't even really look at? Why? Was he mean? Nope. I think God does everything intentionally and for a purpose. Do you guys believe that? So when we're reading these things, I want us to continue to ask the question, what are the walls in our lives? What is the wall in your life or walls? What things in your life seem insurmountable? What walls in your life do you look at and you're like, man, these are double thick. You could just drive, you, man, you could drive a tank across the top of this thing. It's so thick, it's never coming down. What does that look like for you guys? I think it's a question that we should be asking. And I think it's a question here that we see these two blind men asking. And it's a question that Joshua asked and said, hey, like, how, how are we going to get past this, God? You said this was a promised land. That is pretty much the gateway to the rest of the land. That was why they built it on that hill. That was why Jericho was such a, a formidable kind of city not only because it was built super thick, but because of where it was and what it kind of protected. It protected everything. It was really the only way through. Verse 32, back in Matthew. This cup doesn't work with this. I'm just saying. You have to take all those clicking and clacking out, Maya. All that clicking and clacking's got to go. You going to do it? All right, if you guys hear clicking and clacking, blame him. He does the message every week. <laughs> Verse 32 says this. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. You guys, in spite of the many people that were telling them to shut their mouths, in spite of the fact that like all these people would have rather them just be quiet and live with their infirmity and not rock the boat and not make Jesus into more than they wanted him to be, because I can promise you guys this, if we have a church full of people that start actually crying out to God the way these guys are and start actually believing that Jesus can actually change lives like these guys did, I promise you there will be people in our church probably, but definitely out in the world that are not happy about it. And you know what I say? Bring it on! Because I believe that Jesus wants this from all of us, that he wants us to be on fire for him, that he wants us to look around in this world and see that nothing is going to get anyone anywhere except Christ. 
I believe that. I really firmly believe that. I just had a massive discussion on Facebook, which is always a stupid idea. Don't fall into the trap that I fell into with a person that was talking in these very humanist perspectives about the need for education and the need for, you know, the understanding that, that these things in this world are only going to be fixed as we begin to pour out more education and more knowledge onto people's lives. And I'm like, how has that worked out over the last however many hundreds of years? We know more now, quote unquote, than we did back then, and yet we're, we're stupider. Is that a word? Right? I can Google anything, man. I'm wicked smart. Or am I? I used to know 20 numbers when I was a kid. How about you guys? I knew 20 phone numbers. I knew every one of my friend's phone numbers. I knew every one of my relative's phone numbers. I knew everybody's numbers. Now, you guys, I just got asked yesterday for my phone number and I had to look it up on my phone. We're dumb. Am I wrong? You guys, our intelligence will get us nowhere. And God's not asking for our intelligence. He's asking for our faith. He's asking for us to believe in something higher than ourselves, him. He's asking and, and, and begging us and saying, hey, come to me, all of you that are weary and heavy laden. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm pretty weary and I'm pretty heavy laden. And so you guys, that's the thing. And here they were and they're crying out. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't turn around and say like, hey, what, who's calling out to me? What's happening? No, he stops. He just stops where he is. Who knows where that was? It could have been clear across the way. It could have been really far away. It could have been in a way, you guys, and I seem to think, I feel just the way this is worded, that it says he stops, he stood still and called them. What did that look like for them to get called? How many people that were just looking around at them and telling them to shut their mouths and shut up had to be also the ones that are like, oh, he's calling you and stand them up and then walk them over to Jesus? How many people's hearts was Jesus working on before those two blind guys even got up to Jesus? Did you ever think about that? I don't know about you guys. Whenever I read the word, I try my best to put myself in the situation and be like, who would I have been? And there are times in my life that I would have definitely been the one that was telling them to be quiet. I feel like you guys... Now I might have been one of the guys that might have been screaming along with him. I hope I would be. But I think overall, I definitely want to be the one that would have been like, man, Jesus is calling you. Like, let's go, dude. Let's go. How can I help you? What can I bring? What, how, how can we get there quicker? And I'm saying all that, you guys, because as a church, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be? Because I can promise you something. We are all the blind people in one perspective, aren't we? We're blind. We're blind. And sometimes you guys, we're so blind, we don't even know we're blind. We think we've got it all figured out. My mom will tell you, she will swear to you that when she looks at a Christmas tree with enough lights on it, that she can see those lights. And so to test that, my brother and I would turn the lights off and be like, how's it look? She'd be like, it's amazing. It's so bright. And we'd be like, mom, the lights are off. And she's like, you jerks. <laughs> I told you guys I was going to make some jokes that you might not like. But what am I trying to get at, you guys? Sometimes we're so blind, we don't even know we're blind anymore <laughs> to things, right? But I think we are all blind in some, in some way as humans. We cannot see God's glory clearly. We cannot take in all that God has for our lives fully, can we? Not yet, anyway. When we get our new body and our new eyes and our new mind, yeah, then it's coming, but not right now. And so I do think when we look at this, man, who are we? Who would we be in the multitude? Who would you be in the multitude? Honestly, ask the Holy Spirit and find out who would you be? And if you would be one of the people that was telling them to be quiet because your life with God isn't as close as their life is with God, then do you know how to fix that? Stop messing around and follow after Christ. Repent. Move towards Christ. That's it. I got to tell you guys, I want us to be a church that's not just a multitude following but a group of individuals like the disciples that are like, man, where am I going to go? You're the only one with the words of life. 
That's what I want for us as a church. And I want that, you guys, because when I see these two blind men, the two people that were by far the most in need and the most helpless, they're the two that I think were probably the absolute closest to Jesus out of that entire group. And I want that for all of us. Do you want that today? Two of you do. Awesome. You guys, I want to, I want to look at something else. Do you notice that there's no formula to what Jesus did? here. There never is a formula to what Jesus does. And I think that's important to note too, because a lot of the health and wealth gospel messages will tell you that if man, if you have enough faith, you're going to twist God's arm just enough and he's going to do what you want him to do. I don't see that in scripture. You know what else I don't see in scripture? Man, last time I said in Jesus name and the person was healed. And then you do it again and you're like, in Jesus name. And you're like, oh no, no, that was wrong. Let me do it right. Then it'll work, and then it doesn't work, and you're like, what happened? Why? Because Jesus is not a one-trick pony. He's not a genie in a bottle. You can't rub the, the lamp enough to get him to come out. Right? Like, that's not who he is, you guys. And oh, by the way, a genie is actually in literature is, is a jinn, which is a demon. So this idea that we would look at Jesus and think that he's a genie in the bottle is kind of like, in and of itself, kind of wrong, because it's like... You're comparing him to what? A demon? That's not right. Not at all. God is God and God moves how God wants to move. And it's our job, you guys, to continue to seek, continue to ask, continue to knock, continue to pray and seek him. But the reality is, is that we've got to trust that he is implanting his will into our hearts so that our prayer begins to change and be more in line with his will. And so I still pray, Lord, will you heal my mom? And I still have zero doubt that, my, that the Lord could do that. I have zero doubt that I could receive a call at any given moment, any morning that I'm praying, every morning that I'm praying. And it could be my little brother or it could be somebody or it could even be my mom that's like, dude, I was able to dial the phone because I can see God did something miraculous. I have zero doubt that God could do that. But do you know what God's done in my heart through the years? Through the years, he's changed my heart to be like, Lord, would you use this situation for your glory. God, would you use this situation and her debilitating disease, because it's not just blindness, it's other things, for your glory, for your glory, Lord and Father. In the process of that, would you kill some of her pride because she got a lot of it? I know because I took up most of it, right? Like we're a prideful family. And so I ask God for that too. There's a lot of things that I pray for, 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 for my mom that started out at 16, this prayer, God healer, father healer. God, why aren't you healing her? What's wrong, God? What am I doing wrong? God, heal her, heal her. And it took a long time and it was a process to get to a point where it's like, God, be glorified in her life. Whether she ever sees because she knows you. So I know she's going to look on my face when she's in heaven. Yeah. And I get there. My heart had to change. Yeah. But here we see these two men and they're just as desperate. They're like, God, God, you're the, you're the only one that can do anything about this. And so he stops and they come. And Jesus, I love it because he's super blunt, right? <laughs> what do you guys want? <laughs> and I think it's funny because even though obviously you know Jesus, God in flesh, he already knew what they wanted. Isn't it cool that God bothers to ask us what we want even though he already knows what we want? And on top of that, he actually already knows what we need even more than what we want. But he still wants relationship with us. And so he says to them like, what can I do for you? What do you want me for me to do? And I think... I could imagine everyone being like, dude, you've heard them yelling. Like, I mean, come on. They weren't even facing the right direction, Jesus. They were facing away from you. Isn't it pretty obvious? This guy's name is Blind Bartimaeus. Like, doesn't that give you a clue, Jesus? Like, do, I mean, come on, dude. You know what they want. But he wanted them to speak out their requests. And I love what they said. I love what they said. Verse 33, it says that they said, Lord that our eyes may be opened. They wanted their eyes opened. And I don't know about you, and maybe I'm over-spiritualizing this, 
But I feel like there was more there than just wanting to see physically when they asked that. When they were like, open my eyes, Lord. Open my eyes. And I want you to think about it. They're calling out to the one and only person that they knew could do anything about this wall of blindness that was in their life. They couldn't see anything. And they're crying out to this one person, Jesus, God in flesh. And they're doing it in a way that's saying, Master, Messiah, the only one that can do anything for me, please open my eyes. And isn't that the cry of our hearts whenever we came to Christ, Christian? Wasn't it? God, forgive me. God, thank you for saving a wretch like me. I don't know about you. That's the cry of my heart every morning in the shower when I'm like, oh God, why do you even bother with me? I love that you do. I don't understand it. I know you're the only one that could. But I'm so thankful you do. So here they are, looking to the Messiah with eyes that can't see, hearing a voice that they're just like, you're it. If you don't do something about this, then we're going to be blind the rest of our lives. And the reality is, and I want to stop here and talk about this for a second. He healed them, you guys, but what if he didn't? Did anything change about who he was in their lives? No, because I want you to notice they didn't say, son of David, if you heal my eyes. Oh, Lord, after you fix my problem. No. Their eyes were already more open than probably half or three quarters or maybe all of the people in the multitude that were just following after this popular guy at the moment. Because they already knew he is God in flesh. He is the only one that's going to ever save me, period. End of story. And I need us, church, to get our heads around that because I really despise the American church's lie that everything has to be going perfectly for us to, 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 to know that God loves us. Because I don't know about you guys, but I read a lot of this a lot of days. Every day I'm in this Bible. I know you guys are too. And as you read it, have you come across a lot of places where everything went swimmingly for people's lives? I haven't. We're reading through Ezekiel right now on Wednesday nights. If we went through and just recorded the very beginning of the messages, my first thought on most chapters is, this is a hard message. This is a hard message. This week's a hard message. This week's a really hard message. But then Jesus, or God gives us a little bit of a glimmer of hope there at the end. That's good on this chapter. This next week, hard message. And I, I said last week, I was like, this is a hard message. And then we got a glimmer of hope next week. So if anybody wants to come for a glimmer of hope on a Wednesday night, next Wednesday. We're talking about stuff that hasn't even happened yet, you guys. It's cool. But guess what we got after that? couple hard messages. Why? Not because God didn't love his people. Quite the opposite. God loved his people so much that he says in Ezekiel, at the end of chapter 19, he says this, you guys keep wanting to look like the Gentiles and I refuse to let you look like the Gentiles. Church, you keep wanting to look like the world. God refuses to let us look like the world. And the much easier path is the path that has been laid out all throughout scripture from Genesis to maps, which says this, follow me. Follow me. Let me be the Lord of your life. Let me sanctify you. Let me work on you. Stop looking at the world around you and thinking that there's answers there and start looking to me for, for answers. And I promise you a life that will be lived much more abundantly. That's the promise he has. And I believe that promise, you guys. And I think that a church that starts believing that, you guys, that is revival. When we look back throughout history, and we see the major world revivals. Do you know when it started? It started when each person started looking at God's word and being like, I actually believe what you're saying in here. And I want to do it. 
And I know I can't even do that in my own flesh, but I know you can do that in me. So move in my heart. Change who I am. Let me be open to you, Holy Spirit, and what you want to speak in and through my life to others. And I think that's what these two blind men are doing in this moment to that multitude. Because they're saying, I don't care if you guys keep telling me to be quiet. I'm not going to be quiet. And I don't care that I was facing the wrong way when Jesus was over there. Because guess what? I heard his voice. So now I know he's over there. I'm heading that way. And I don't care what any of you think. Or whether you think I'm an idiot. Or whether you think I'm going to get there and he's not going to do anything for me. I already know who he is. You can't convince me otherwise. If, he get, if I get up there and he doesn't heal my blindness, I promise you, I've heard, I've heard and I've been able to be with the Messiah and that is more than enough. Yeah. But Jesus is so cool that when he gets up there, he does it. He heals them. Imagine what it was like. Imagine, imagine sitting outside the walls of Jericho Imagine being this blind guy that's like, God, here we are outside of a time when you knock these walls down by people walking around and yelling. Lord, when are you going to heal this from me? Imagine knowing Jesus is in Jericho. He's staying the night in the city or however that looked. And then he comes out of the city and they're like, this is our chance. This is our one shot to cry out to him in person, God in flesh. And everyone's telling him to be quiet. They didn't. Jesus stands still and says, come here. He heals their eyes. Imagine the awe and the wonder they must have felt. And it doesn't say anywhere here that he touched them or anything. To just suddenly be like, there you are. You guys... I want us to get our head around this. Because sometimes I think whenever I look through scripture on things, I'm like, well, Lord, why did you even put this encounter in here? Right? The book of John, the gospel of John tells us that, man, there's not even enough books in the world. There's not enough paper. There's not enough ink. We could never write down all of the stories, all of the things that Jesus did, all of the words that he spoke. John tells us that. I believe that to be true. I believe that we're getting just a tiny little snippet of what it was like to walk with him for these amount of years. A very short amount of time, relatively. Three, three and a half years. Why is this in three of the Gospels? I think there's a reason. God doesn't waste space in his word. I think there's a reason that that's in here. And I tell you what I think it is. I think part of it is because it's right outside the walls of Jericho and that was meant to remind everybody of something. I think that's part of it. Because here are these two blind men that even today, you guys, all these years later, we still can't heal. And I, I think that's important. We're not so fancy as humans that we can do God's job. God's still God. He always will be. I think there's a reason that this is in here. I don't think it's a mistake. I think Jesus was making it clear by these two men crying out and saying, Lord, son of David. And I think Jesus, by healing them, was saying to the entire multitude and to all of us, I am who I say I am. I am God. In flesh. Why was this important? Guys, this is the last time that Jesus kind of like reveals or shows this healing power, right? We have Lazarus and he brings Lazarus back. There's things that he does, but this is kind of the last time that he just kind of like says like, man, you can see. So he does amazing things, but do you get the point here? He's telling everybody right before he walks into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, which we're going to cover next week, Right before he does that, and he's showing everybody that's there, I am who I say I am. And I think far too often, 2,000 plus years removed, you guys, we've lost sight of that sometimes. Haven't we? I think we have. He wants us to know, you guys. He wants us to know that he's the Messiah. 
And so here's Jesus outside of Jericho a second time in history. A second time. He was already there with Joshua. And now here he is walking around in flesh. And he shows us his absolute power and authority. And he also shows us his compassion and mercy. And he gives us a very clear picture of exactly why he came to earth. He came to earth to restore He came to earth to bring freedom into their lives. Do you notice what these two blind guys did when they got healed? They didn't say like, sweet, man, I've been waiting a long time. I'm going to go do whatever. No, they're like, man, I'm following you. I'm following you. Like you've given me the best gift in the whole world. And that is not my eyesight. It's actually that I get to walk around with you now. Like I get to spend time with you and be in relationship with you. That's the best thing. Jesus was showing exactly what he came to do and that he came to tear down the walls of sin and death and our human condition. So what walls do you have in your life right now? You guys, what things in your life would you say, man, this is impossible. I can't get past this. There's no way this wall's coming down and that that wall might be addiction. It might be porn, it might be gambling, it might be drugs or alcohol might be a financial wall. And I want to say something about that. It might be that your financial wall is too short and you're like, there's no way this is ever going to grow, Lord. Right? Let's look at it that way. You might think that the wall is so big because you're like, man, I've got no money. There's also the financial wall where you're so reliant on your money that you have somehow lost track of the fact that God is your sustenance and that God is the person that you have faith in, not your money. So it might be a financial wall. It might be a relational wall. Maybe you're focused more on your spouse or your kids or your job or any other thing that you're putting before the Lord that you're literally building a wall in front of them. And then you're like, God, why is it, why does it seem so impossible that I can talk to you? What's going on, Lord? Why is church only a once a month or twice a month thing? And what, like, why is all these things happening and what's going on? And God's like, let me knock down the wall and start following me. Might be a mental or emotional wall. What about these walls? Could be a wall of pride. I think that's a big one for a lot of people. You pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. You did it by yourself, by God. But then when someone examined your life, you're like, how'd you do that? No, you didn't do any of that. God actually did it in your life. You're just too proud to admit it and own it. And so then because of that, you got to keep the pride facade up and keep that wall growing bigger and bigger and bigger so that God can't say, dude, humble yourself before me and follow me. What about the intellectual wall? That one's a big one here in New England. As a person that's been on the outside and come in, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I'm kind of used to the East Coast mentality. So people in Boston and their rudeness doesn't phase me at all because I'm like, come to Philly and I'll show you what really rude looks like. You don't even have a clue, Boston. But then I moved out West. And out West, people are a lot of things. They're weird, right? Hey, I'm just being real. They're weird. They don't, they don't speak their mind. They don't say what's really on their mind. They'll be like, oh, you're so nice. God bless you. Oh, geez. And then you walk away and you're like, he's an idiot. Right? There's more of that happening. I've been down south. I've had a lot of friends from down south where whenever they say, oh, bless your soul, that means you're a moron. <laughs> right? Up here, everyone's like, you're an idiot. Hey, thanks. <laughs> That's the East Coast. <laughs> What am I trying to say about all this, you guys? Up here, the other big thing that you see that you don't see elsewhere is this. We're smarter than the rest of the world. That's why we have Harvard and Yale and Columbia and all these wonderful universities. Is Columbia up here? I think it is. Is it? No? Anyway, Harvard and Yale, we'll go with those two. (laughs) I know they're up here, right? We're so smart. We don't need God because we've outthought God. We don't need God because our intellect and our humanist view of life is going to fix all the problems in the world. Why then, Massachusetts, are your taxes higher than everyone else's? Your roads are worse than most other places. And oh, by the way, you guys are falling apart at the seams. I don't think intellect gets us anywhere. And by the way, we're also not saved by our intellect, right? We're saved by faith. 
We're saved by the blood of Christ. We're saved by something, you guys, that was entirely and completely outside of us. Christ dying on the cross and rising again. What wall do you have up before you? If you are here today, I'm not lying. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not doing anything. If you're here today and you're like, I have zero walls up, I'm just going to encourage you, pray more because yes, you do. And it might not be a tall wall. Maybe it's not an insurmountable wall to God. Maybe God's done a work and knocked down that wall of pride. But I don't know about you guys. God knocks down my pride. God knocked down my pride on Wednesday night when I was like, I am going to teach through the fact that I'm in serious pain and that I just want to quit right now. And I kept teaching and kept teaching. And God was like, sit down. God was like, sit down. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to keep teaching. I'm going to keep teaching. At one point, I was actually leaning on this thing so hard because I was like, I'm going to pass out, right? And then I was like, no, for real, I am going to pass out. And then I took a knee. And then you know what, you guys? My wall of pride was so tall that I stood back up and kept trying to teach anyway. And then it was like, oh no, for real, I'm really going to pass out. And so I had to sit down. God is always wanting to knock down our walls. And you guys, because we're humans, we're always trying to build them back up. And so I think it's an everyday thing to say, God, what walls am I building? God, knock them down. God, take away this wall of pride. Take away the wall of my intellect. Take away, Lord, the wall of my finances. Lord, take away anything that stands before you, whatever that is. Knock it down. You guys, Jesus doesn't ever want us to stop calling out to him. Matthew 7, you guys want to flip over there with me? Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. You guys know this passage. It says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And you guys, the Greek here, I'm sure you've all heard this before, but anyone here that hasn't, the Greek here is telling us this, never stop asking. Never stop seeking. Never, ever, ever stop knocking. Why? Not because you're going to twist God's arm and he's suddenly going to listen to you, but because the more we ask and the more we seek and the more we knock, you guys, God begins to do a work in our hearts. And we begin to know more and more what his will is for any given situation. And it might not look like where we started. It has not looked yet for me in my prayer for my mom, like the way it started back when I was 16 and first got saved. And yet, you guys, I am more at peace with my prayer before the Lord now for my mom than I was at 16, because I think I've got a better understanding of who God is and how much he loves my mom and how much he loves me and how much him not answering that prayer the way I want it answered is for the betterment of not just my mom, but for the world around her. And that's an awesome thing. You guys... We may be praying for walls to come down. And the answer might be that the wall comes down immediately or maybe the wall will come down over time or maybe, you guys, you'll realize that the wall has a door that you didn't see before. <laughs> we don't know what God's answer is. The only way to find out is to continually seek and continually ask and continually knock. And he will answer. Even if the answer doesn't look like what you thought it was. Can you guys trust that we serve a good gracious and omnipotent God. Do you guys know what the word omnipotent means? All powerful, all powerful. There's a quote by Tozer that I love. It says this, since he has at his command all the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. You guys, there is nothing too hard for God. Nothing. Do not believe the lie of the enemy that your sin is taking you too far from him for him to move. Do not believe the lie of the enemy that this brain of yours is more powerful than God's because it's not. Do not believe the lie of the enemy that any amount of pride that you can womp up in yourself is ever going to get you closer to God. As a matter of fact, it usually takes us further and further away from God. Do not believe the lie of the enemy that your kids and your spouse and everyone else in your life are more important 
and deserve more time than God does. Because here's the truth. If you want to love your kids and your spouse and your friends well, you know what you need to do? Press into God because then you're going to be a better friend and you're going to be a better spouse and you're going to be a better parent. Teach your kids what it's like that church, that being in church is more important than all the other things in the world. Why? Not because you're legalistic and you're trying to check a block, but because God actually matters that much. Show your kids, show your spouse, even if your spouse doesn't want to come. Show your friends, even if they're all like, you're an idiot. Why do you waste a couple hours? You could get a lot of things in like sleeping on a Sunday morning. Do it anyway. Why? If for no other reason, you guys, than to show everyone else that God is more important and that you love them enough that you're going to keep God the most important in your life. You guys trust him with everything, with the timing, with the circumstances, and with the outcome. And God, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, will never let you down. He's never going to let you down. So we seek him. He shows us the answers. We do the job of never stopping to ask, seek, and knock him. And we trust trust in his promise that he's going to answer us. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are so gracious and merciful to us, Father. And Lord, I don't know what the walls are here, but God, I know you know. And Father, I know my walls. And God, I want you to take a wrecking ball to every one of them. And God, I'm asking, Father, would you do the same for each person here, Lord? I pray, Father, that they would not adore anything more than you. And Lord, that they would just want to see every wall that stands before you wrecked. God, I'm asking, Father, that you would move in our church, not just our church, Lord, in Christendom. God, I think time is short. I think you're coming back sooner than we can even imagine. And yet, Lord, I see a church, Lord, that seems to be asleep in so many ways, Father. God, looking at the world around them and thinking that there's answers there instead of looking to your word and finding answers there. The only answers. God, would you make that not so for us, Lord? God, we, we can't control anyone but ourselves. And Lord, really, if we're being honest, we can't even do that great of a job with that either. And so God, I'm asking you, would you take control of us? Lord, would you move in us, Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you sanctify our lives and change the direction that we're on? God, would you knock down every wall, Lord, that we would see you absolutely clearly, as clearly as we can in these human eyes, God. Lord, help us. Be with us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, we are going to be taking communion today. And I want to encourage you guys as we sing to seek the Lord. We know that you don't just come to the communion table flippantly, right? The Bible tells us that. Corinthians specifically, Paul says, like, man, don't do that. You actually drink and eat harm unto yourself. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, please do not take communion. Not because I'm trying to be some judgmental jerk, but because the Bible actually tells us that it's not good for you. (laughs) Because you're taking in something that is so sacred and holy and turning it into something that means nothing. If you are here today and you're a Christian, can I just encourage you guys? Don't come to the table flippantly. As we sing, seek the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, are there walls that I've built up in my heart that need to come down? Are there things in my heart, Lord, that I haven't asked for forgiveness for, that I haven't repented of? And trust that the Holy Spirit's gonna do that work. He's gonna answer that for you. And when he does and he brings it up, don't go down a guilt spiral. Own it. Lord, you've just pointed this out to me. Forgive me for that. Help me to walk in pureness of heart. And then you guys join us at the communion table when we partake together the body and the blood of Christ.
and enjoy communing with Jesus. Amen? Let's sing. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.